And today we're going to start a new series I'm very excited about. We're going to begin a series in the Gospel of John. One of the things that excites me about the book um, is that there is a term in the book that appears 98 times, and the term is believe. It's one of the reasons why that's going to be the name of the, of the sermon series. And this is going to be a great book, and I want to uh, encourage you to start thinking about who would you like to invite in the days ahead to hear about Jesus and what the Apostle John has to say about belief. The New Testament scholar William Hendrickson wrote these words. He said, the gospel, according to John, is the most amazing book ever written. Further, he writes, using King James Version language, put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. New Testament scholar Leon Morris begins his commentary on the gospel of John by stating, I like the comparison of John's gospel to a pool in which a child may wade or an elephant may swim. It is both simple and profound. It is for the newest beginner in the faith and for the mature Christian. Its appeal, it is uh, immediate and never failing. I first started reading the book of John uh, back in my college days when I thought I was uh, an unbelieving atheist. And um, in a discussion with my wife's pastor, I didn't need one, but she needed one. And he uh, expressed interest in getting to know me. In a discussion I had with him, um, he once asked me the question, Jerry, what do you think about the Bible? And so I explained to him, I thought it was full of myths and stories. And then he asked me a hard question. He said, well, have you ever read it? Oh, well, a little bit. And then he said, what do you think about reading the Gospel of John? And I thought, you know what? He's right. If I'm going to be intellectually honest as a philosophy student, I cannot reject something like this without having read it. So I was going to set out to read it, and then I would just be affirmed about what I already thought. Well, I read it for three days. I read one chapter a day, and then I got sidetracked for four years. Um, so about 24 hours after I placed my faith in Christ... I recalled that conversation. And so within 24 hours, nobody told me to do this. I just started reading the Gospel of John at home privately, kind of hoping nobody would see me. Actually, my daughter found me and reading the Bible. And um, At any rate, um, I, I started reading the book of John. And you know what? I've never turned back beginning reading about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for me has changed my life. And I'm 
extremely grateful for that. Um, one of the things that excites me about the book, I believe that God will use this book uh, in our church to help us grow our love and appreciation for him, to grow our confidence in the word of God, to, to grow our appreciation for who Jesus is and what he's done uh, for us. And I think it's a great book for people to begin a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So, let's begin in uh, John chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 5 just before we get uh, started. So just listen to the Word. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we're going to be begin there, and we're going to first begin seeing Jesus from the beginning of creation. And that's in verses 1 through 5, the passage that I just read. Now, um, I want to encourage you to be reading the book of John if, if you are not in a reading plan. If you're brand new to the Bible, I want to encourage you to be reading the book of John during this series. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the table. You're welcome to get one when you come in. And if you don't have one, you're welcome to take one home with you. So we would like you to have uh, a Bible right out on the table um, as you go out the door. Seeing Jesus from the beginning of creation. Well, first he was with the Father. We see that in verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, John writes. He starts at the beginning of history. And he uses a very important concept when he uses that term, the Word. It's used here by the writer John, and it's also used in the book of Revelation by the writer John. Um, the, the Greek word or the original language of the New Testament has the word logos for this term called the word. It's a technical concept for both uh, Greek philosophers of the first century, as well as Jewish theologians of the first century. The Greeks saw this term, the word or logos, as the central truth of uh, the central reality of the universe, the ultimate reason for the universe. Another way is to say it was, and you know, they're a little bit left-sided, not personal, and um, that it's the first cause of the universe. It's the cause that causes the other causes, okay? You have to start somewhere. They got that much out of their reasoning to it. To, it's an attempt to explain how do we have what we have? Where did all of this come from, okay? So that's the Greek part. For the... Jewish theologian, they saw this term, the logos, as 
revelation as the word of God, the word that comes from God, the communication from God, the display of who God is. So whether that makes any difference to you, this was the background of this word when John uses it at about 95 AD. In the beginning was the word, um, kind of an important concept, in the beginning. Have you heard that one before? Very first verse I memorized in Sunday school was Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what John wants us to do. He wants us to go back there in the beginning. And he makes this incredibly bold statement. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Um, he's saying, at the time of creation, the word existed in a face-to-face -face with God. Face-to-face, -face, that's what that term means, with God in an equal relationship. Now, he's just giving us clues here. And one of the things about John chapter 1 and this, where we're beginning here, is it's called the prologue. And in this section, John is going to tell you what the rest of the book is about. But he's just sort of unfolding with clues as he goes. The word was with God. And then he says, and the word was God. The word is a person. That's incredible. He identifies the word in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word... The Logos became flesh. Now we've got a clue what's happening. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He came to live with us. We have seen His glory. John's saying, a lot of us are eyewitnesses. The 12 disciples were eyewitnesses. They saw His glory. They saw Him perform miracles. They saw His resurrected body. They experienced firsthand the glory of Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among, among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So John, and then he's going to go on in a verse or two and say, it's Jesus. Just to be clear, this is Jesus. And so that's where John begins this story. Um, John says, Jesus, the Son of God, was with God in the beginning. Jesus, the Son of God, was face-to-face, -face, in a face-to-face -face relationship with God. The Father and the Son already were in community at creation. Jesus was there in the beginning. And then he goes on to say in verse 3 that he created the universe and everything in it. And, and John writes, through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so in the beginning, when God created the heavens and earth, it was Jesus. Jesus created the heavens and and the earth. Uh, I'm going to skip to Hebrews 1, 
the writer of Hebrews affirms John's words in Hebrews chapter 1. And the writer says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors. And he means the Jewish nation of Israel. And he says, through the prophets, that is the prophets of the Old Testament. And um, in many times, many different prophets and many different prophecies and in various ways. But in these last days, the days that have recently happened in the first century, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also, he made the universe. Just by the way, Jesus, our creator God, made the universe and everything in it. The son, he writes, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the logos, he is a display of who God is in person, in the flesh. God became human. We call it the incarnation in the flesh. He took on a body. He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Right now, according to the writer of Hebrews, the universe is held together by the power of Jesus' word. It's pretty powerful. When God created the heavens and the earth, how did he do it? He spoke. He spoke the word. When Jesus returns and when he comes in judgment, how is he going to judge? He's going to speak the word. That's all he has to do. And it is his word by his command Everything is being held together according to his will. And after that, Jesus provided the purifications for sin. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the Jesus we worship. He provided purification for sins. That is, he died on the cross and he paid the sin penalty for all humans. Um, he took... That the sin penalty was death, and he took our place. It's called the substitutionary atonement. He took our place. He was our substitute. And then when he was resurrected from the grave, it um, was a victory over sin and over death and over the evil one. Then he ascended into the uh, into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and that's where Jesus is right now he is alive we do not worship a dead savior but a living savior next he is the author and designer of both the physical life and the spiritual life John writes in him was life so he is the creator God. He's the one who created life in the beginning. I believe he's still enabling physical life today. Um, but he is the source of spiritual life. He is the source of eternal life. He's the designer of the forever kingdom of God mentioned in Revelation chapter 1 and 22. He is the author of life. And then he goes on to say, and that life was the light of all mankind. One of the amazing things about the John, the writer of the gospel, he was one of the 12 disciples. 
And um, he was a fisherman. He was not a scholar. And he had very limited language, very, very limited vocabulary. He has the smallest vocabulary that we believe in all the, all the writers of Scripture. And uh, he writes very simply. He uses big words like life and death, good and evil. Um, and that's just how he writes. But what he has to say is profound. He is the life was, that was the light of all mankind. He shines on humanity to, to show humanity the Father, to display the truth, including the gospel. In John 14, 6, and one of the things I said earlier is that John is introducing the themes that he's going to write about in the book. And here's one of those. And Jesus answered, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus makes this very bold claim. He says, I am the way. He is the way to God. He's the way to the Father. He's the way you have a personal relationship with God. He's also the truth. He is the revelation of God. He's the display of God in person, in the flesh. And, and uh, he is the life. That's the theme that John is talking about here. Um, in John 10, 10, Jesus said these words. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, he, he's talking about eternal life, but he's talking about more than that. He's talking about a quality of life. Um, the kind of life where we can have a peace and a contentment and we can have joy. Those, that describes what we see in the New Testament about a life with God through Jesus Christ. He says, I want my followers to have it to the full. This is not uh, the prosperity gospel. It's not about having material things. It's about being a human the way we've been designed to the fullest extent. Um, and this requires a spiritual dimension to have this life. In verse 5, he is not understood by people in spiritual darkness. John writes, the light shines in the darkness. And here we have this light versus darkness happening. John is introducing something that's going to be played out in this gospel. And that is a conflict between good and evil. A conflict between God and the spiritual forces of darkness. And sometimes it happens through the humans. Um, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, and there's that conflict. Um, there, the, people living in spiritual darkness have not comprehended who Jesus is, and the spiritual darkness does not overtake the light in this conflict. Uh, in John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, Jesus writes these words. He says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, 
I am the light of the world. There's one of those themes that John is playing out. He's the light. It's one of the I am statements of the gospel of John. Um, he is a display of God. And he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He makes this promise as he is the light. He said, if we will engage him on his terms, if he will follow what he has taught, then you can have the light of life. That you'll have clarity. Um, and then, um, is there, yeah, is there another? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Um, so when you're following Jesus, the writer of John here is saying, you know what? You are not, you're not going to stray into, into darkness. You're not going to stray into sin. If you're following Jesus, he's not going to lead you there. Now, you can get off the course on your own. But if you walk in the light, if you follow Jesus, you will not walk in the darkness In verses 6 through 9, seeing Jesus from the eyes of God's messenger. And now we're going to introduce a new character into the story. God's messenger was named John. Oh, we have the writer of the gospel named John. And now we have John. Here's what we know. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man was sent from God. He was God's man. His name was John. The writer of the gospel is also named John, but it's important. They are not the same person. This is not the same John. The writer was one of John's 12 disciples. He had a brother named John. The writer is called the Apostle John. God's messenger here is John called John the Baptist. John the Baptist's role was prophesied in the Old Testament by Old Testament prophets. We'll see that in a minute. And also in Luke chapter 1, uh, Gabriel announced to John's parents that he would be born and he would be a messenger for God. And in um, verses 7 through 9, John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, John came as a witness to testify concerning that light. He, so John's job was to be a witness. You know, a witness is to tell the truth about what they've seen and what they've heard. That's what John's role will be. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. That's his purpose. He's to point people to Jesus so that people would believe. You know, that's God's method is for us to tell others about what we've seen and heard about Jesus. That's so that people can believe. God's method is people telling people. God sent John to tell people. And that's going to be his role. But, but in verse 8, 
John goes on to say, the apostle says, he himself was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. This is important to, to designate in the first century because there, there was some confusion about the role of John the Baptist. And some of the people wanted to make John the Baptist the, the celebrity hero. And they were, sort of wanted to worship him and follow him. And, you know, who's this Jesus, Johnny-come-lately guy? And so John had his own following. And his job was always to push people and to point people to Jesus and who he was. By the way, there are still people in the world today who are trying to follow John the Baptist. He himself was not the light. He only came as the witness to the light. The true light, Jesus, that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus was the true light. John's role was to be a, a forerunner, to go ahead of Jesus, to an, be an announcer and say, he, the king is coming. The king is coming. Watch for him. And John's role was to help people get ready. He was to prepare them. Around 350 B.C., going back to the Old Testament, 350 years before we could say Jesus, in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, God speaks here, and through the prophet Malachi, he says, I will send my messenger. It's going to be John. Who will prepare the way before me. This messenger is to prepare God's way before God. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking. For hundreds of years, God's people have been waiting for, for God to send the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is going to deliver them. The one who is going to bring a, a final judgment. They've been waiting. And he said, the one you, you are seeking will come to his temple. Jesus did that, and he went in, and he cleared out the money changers. It was sudden, it was abrupt, and it was a holy response by a holy God. And then he says, he calls this, uh, the Lord you are seeking, the messenger of the covenant. That's Jesus. He's going to be the messenger of the new covenant. The Old Testament was under the old covenant, Jesus is going to initiate a new covenant. We don't know all of that here, but that's a prophecy that people have been watching. And then we have uh, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 3. And Isaiah writes, and this is about 800, uh, the 8th century before Christ, okay? This goes back even further. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It sounds kind of strange to be in the wilderness and to be in the desert and have a highway out there. What was that about? Well, it was John's role to prepare the hearts of people. And so what John did was he went out into the wilderness of Israel. He went outside of the religious political system of Jerusalem. And he went out and he preached. How do you get an, an audience, you know, out in the wilderness? It was a God thing. John did and people came out to hear. And he called the people of Israel to repent, to turn from evil and to turn to God and, and to get their lives in order before the true and living God so that their hearts would be ready 
for Jesus when he comes. This happened, John was preparing the way before Jesus went public. Jesus will go public in about, in, when he was around 30 years old. And so nobody knew he was the Messiah before then. And John doesn't even know when he's out there, but he knows that he's doing what God wants him to do, and he's announcing that the Messiah is coming. And we're going to see more about John and Jesus together uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. And so John got, so when Jesus shows up, there's a, already a group of people whose hearts are ready and they want to follow. And so Jesus is able to get sometimes thousands of people together to hear him. And it has a lot to do with John paving the way out in the desert. Now we come to our last section in verses 10 through 13. Seeing Jesus in person got mixed reviews, just like today. Sometimes he was not recognized for who he was. Verse 10, he was in the world. First century is Israel. They had a culture of their own, different than our culture. And though the world was made through him, though he was the creator of the universe and humanity and all living things, imagine what that was like if you were Jesus and you came and, and you remember making this and you know your, what your father's role is and then what kind of people are these, you know? Um, Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world that God's son entered. He entered as a baby in Bethlehem. Didn't recognize him. Micah prophesied that in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. That there'd be one born in Bethlehem who, had, who came from everlasting that he had a life before he was born. He had an eternal life with God before he was born in Bethlehem. We see in verse 11 also that sometimes he was rejected by his own people. Sometimes he was rejected by his own people. Verse 11, he came to that which is own. He came to... Nazareth. He grew up there. They just knew him as Joseph and Mary's boy. But after he went public, he came back to Nazareth and he taught in the synagogue there. They weren't interested. Uh, they tried to chase him out of town. He, he came to his own, but they did not receive him. He came to God's people, the nation of Israel, those people who had special benefits from God. They were called the chosen people. They had received the scriptures, the Old Testament. They had been given prophets. They had been given a way of worshiping God, a way to be in relationship. They were given the temple of God. And they were given promises about the Messiah, the promised one, the special one, the holy one of Israel. And they knew he was coming and he was going to be the savior and the redeemer. 
They had all of that information, but his own did not receive him. And then sometimes he was welcomed into people's lives, which changed their eternal destiny. Sometimes he was well received. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, those who welcomed them into their lives, those who embraced his message, those who trusted him. And then he, the writer goes on to, John goes on to explain, those who believed in his name. That's, that's how you welcome him. That's how you received him, is that you believe in his name. And as we've talked about in the past, the name represents the reputation and the character and who this person is. It's about recognize who Jesus is. We, we, we've learned a lot about him this morning, who Jesus is and what he has done. And he, will, he, he would die on the cross and he would, he would be the savior. He would pay the penalty for the sins of the entire earth to believe in his name. And to those people, that group that welcomed him, he gave the right to become children of God. He had the authority to transform people's lives to become the children of God. God is spirit. And to be connected to him requires a spiritual nature. And when someone becomes a child of God, they have to take on the, sp the spiritual nature of God and have a spiritual connection with God through Jesus Christ. He says, they gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And John clearly marks out, he's talking about a spiritual birth, not a physical birth, not a natural birth that requires human parents, but a birth that comes from heaven. It's a God thing. It's a new birth. It's a second birth. All humans have a physical birth. But only those who believe in Jesus Christ have a spiritual birth. Those who are born of God. And we say our mission is to help people connect with God. It's to help them make that spiritual connection so that they understand who Jesus is and can place their faith in Christ. This is why Jesus came into the world. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world... Now, you know, in our, in our room today, we, we have lots of people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have some people who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And this passage reminds us that God so loved the world. And that's people. God loves people, the people of the world. God loves you. He loves every person in this room. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus came to, be, to, to enter the world at that first Christmas in Bethlehem, and God took on flesh. 
It's an amazing thing. We call that the incarnation. And Jesus grew up in the land of Israel, apparently lived in the city of Nazareth, and he was just a, a guy. And then about 30, he takes on a public ministry and announces that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ. And he demonstrates who he is by what he does. He does miracles. Miracles authenticate the message and the messenger. That's how God designed them in, in the Bible. And then Jesus would go to the cross voluntarily. And when he died, he would become the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament. He would pay for the sins of the entire world. All sins forever. Because of who he is. Because he is God. How valuable is God's life? His life is infinitely valuable. You know, it makes so much difference what people think of who Jesus is. You know, a lot of people think he's just a good person. He was a good moral teacher. He was an important religious figure. Really, really good guy. Some people say he's the son of God, but they don't know what that means. And what's crucial is that Jesus is God. A lot of people aren't sure about that. And his life is infinitely valuable. And so how big is this sin penalty of the universe for all time and all of history from the beginning until the end? That I, it, I don't know when that's going to happen, but every human ever born has a sin penalty. And how big is that? If you could put it on a computer running 24 hours a day, how big would that sin penalty be? I can promise you when we get to the end, it'll be a finite number. It might be super, super big. Jesus' life pays for it all. And we can know that right now because of who he is and what he's done. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, to summarize... Um, if we just summarize what the New Testament teaches about having a relationship with Jesus, um, we, we know that there is, um, there is a problem. God sent Jesus because he loves us to deal with the problem that humanity has created, and that's called the sin problem. Our sin separates us from God. Uh, Romans 3, chapter 20, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means all people, every person, me, you, all of us have sinned. We are all sinners. We failed God. And then we also know from the New Testament that sin separates us from God. Um, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. There are consequences. Wages are what we earn. Uh, there are consequences that go with the sin penalty. Separation from God for an eternity. Uh, Jesus called it hell. 
Um, and then God provided the solution. That's the good news. Jesus paid for our moral debt. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. He died for us. He died for you. Whether you care or not, he died for you. He took your place and your sin penalty has been paid for. But it's not going to make any difference to you if you don't respond to what God has offered. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's about believing in Jesus. And God gives eternal life, which includes forgiveness of our sins, a pardon from sin. Instead of death, instead of condemnation, we're given life, eternal life, life with God. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. No, not doing anything, a person remains with the wages of their own sin. It is death. So, there's an ultimate choice for every person. Choose God's life or choose life without God. If you choose God's life, these are just, just the facts. God offers a pardon. He offers forgiveness of sins. Um, he offers a life that can produce God-honoring character in you. You know, when, when I was considering the claims of Christ, I wasn't attracted to this concept of eternal life very much. What I was attracted to, I want to know the truth. And as God began to work and open my heart, I could begin to see that this is real. And that there is real evil. And it's a, there's a powerful force in the universe that's contributing to evil. And I wanted to know the truth and to be in relationship with the true and living God. And I wanted my sins forgiven. Getting eternal life was a huge bonus. And we, we can choose God's life. We can choose life without God. Or we can choose, we, and we can choose life by trusting in Jesus, who he is and what he has done, and that he died for you. As we close today, I'd like to um, give anyone in this room an opportunity to place their faith in Christ. And uh, to do that, uh, one of the ways that you can um, express your faith is, is through a prayer. And I'd like to pray a prayer as we, as we conclude our time this morning. To pray a prayer, I want to go through it two times. I want you to hear the, the first time so you understand it and so you can think about it. And then I'll repeat it a second time. And if that prayer made sense to you, I want to invite you to pray it. You can pray silently right where you are. And uh, just make this your personal prayer to God. So let's everybody, uh, let's just bow our, our heads and our hearts together. And uh, so first, um, just listen to this prayer and see if this prayer is the prayer that you would like to pray. And if you already know Jesus as your Savior, you can just thank him for what he's done for you. Here's the prayer. Dear God, 
Today I acknowledge before you I have failed you by my disobedience. I am a sinner. I understand that Jesus died for me. He gave his perfect life as a ransom for my sins. Today I choose to believe in Jesus Christ. I choose Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I choose to accept your forgiveness as a gift, and I recognize that I don't deserve it. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me from my sins. It's, a, it's that simple. It's just a way of verbalizing um, a prayer uh, back to God. And if that prayer made sense to you, I want to invite you right now to, to make it your own, to be serious with God, to be honest with God. Dear God, today I acknowledge before you that I failed you by my disobedience. I am a sinner. I understand that Jesus died for me. He gave his perfect life as a ransom for my sins. And today I choose to believe in Jesus Christ. I choose Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I choose to accept your forgiveness as a gift. And I recognize that I don't deserve it. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me from my sins. Now, for everybody's heads still down, no, no one's looking around. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand so I can see it? If you just prayed along with me, just slip up your hand. Anyone, anyone else? If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Thank you. You can put your hands down. God, we're so grateful uh, for the good news that we have. We're so grateful that you sent your son uh, who loves us and who, who died for us, who gave himself uh, in our place. God, help us to share this good news and to be um, the kind of person that John the Baptist was to be on a mission as a witness to tell what we've seen and heard as it relates to Jesus. Thank you for the, the gospel of John and the weeks that we have before us. In Jesus' name, amen.